and welcome to episode 14 of the 1099 for the week of October 12th. It is sunny, 80 degrees, Jacksonville, Florida. It's stopped raining for a little bit. Like the ground has finally stopped being a gross swamp and now it's actually becoming like I can walk on it without ruining every pair of shoes I own. Uh, Joining me today is brand new entertainment reporter at Polygon, Julia Alexander. Julia, how are you doing today? Good, good. Thank you for having me on. It's very nice of you. No problem. I was looking forward to this one because it's it's this. You just got this full time gig, which first off, congratulations. It's super Thank awesome. You. Um, Thank you. you know, as we've talked, I've talked multiple times about how rare those jobs are. So to land something like that is super cool. And it, you're just going through this transitional period of you know full time Polygon. And you, you you've had full time work before, but you were also a freelancer. So talking to you about you know what it's like, the process of doing that, I think that's super valuable for people who do have uh, aspirations to one day be full-time. So just to kind of get it rolling, what kind of content are you writing there? I know if anyone follows you on Twitter, like you talk quite a bit about entertainment, about uh, music, about television. Like honestly, I was going to, considering like chopping off like 20 minutes as podcast, just talk about Drake because I would like <laughs> to talk to you about Drake in like a very deep way. I would but, like to invite everyone at this opportunity to talk to me about Drake. Drake's so good. I like it's a it's a, it's it's close to my heart. I mean, I'm from Toronto, so yeah. it, it's it's close to my heart to begin with. It's so I used to like kind of ironically like Drake. Like when you're a guy and you're like, oh, I love Drake. It's a little bit like people are like, do you actually love Jake Drake, or do you like kind of you're kidding when you say that? Now I'm just like unabashed, like Team Drake. I've listened to back to back maybe 300 times. Like. Well, well, Canada does this thing that um, I love that we do, that we do this. We don't approve of any of our celebrities until, or artists or actors, whatever, until the United States of America accepts them. And then we're kind of like, oh, you know what? Actually, they're pretty talented. Mm. So we were all against Drake. Like, it was like a uh, this unanimous decision in, in Toronto that we were not going to support Drake because he was Jimmy from Degrassi. He was weird. We didn't like him. And then all of a sudden he became really big in the States. He like started dating Rihanna. There was this whole thing. And then Canada, like again, unanimously was like, oh yeah, you know what? No, Drake, Drake, Drake's cool. Drake's great. And, so, and now we like now Toronto is the six and now we are like Drake central and it's just all Drake all the time. So is the, uh, I don't know how much basketball you watch, but do, do the Raptors actually have an OVO alternate uniform? Like, is that a they, real thing? They do. They have an alternate uniform. He premiered it at OVO Fest in August, August 6th, I think. And it is, yeah, black and gold, t- typical OVO colors. It's the same colors as his Jordans that are coming out soon. Um, and I don't know if they're going to wear it, but it is available to purchase. Okay, that's what I want to know. Like, I wonder if they're actually going to wear it because I so want to see the Raptors, which should just change the name of the Drakes, I'm just saying, to like actually wear that jersey during a live game. So that's I will buy like a league pass if that happens just to watch that game because that's the I, greatest goddamn thing ever. Yeah, I the yeah, I, I think they will. I mean the Raptors they at times they try to separate themselves from Drake, but I mean he's there for the majority of the games. He he's their ambassador. He's really into the team. He kind of got the whole We the North thing mo- movement going. And so he kind of brought a lot of attention back to the Raptors. Yeah. Toronto does this thing where Toronto's like, we like a team together and then we don't like a team together. And uh, But the Raptors are definitely on board with Drake and he's on board with them. So I think they might wear it during a game. I hope they do. I mean, I'm buying it regardless. I think I might buy it regardless It's, too. it's beautiful. I'm it's not even really like a bad. Raptors fan, but I, I could start being one. Like I can, <laughs> I can do that for Drake. He is the face of that franchise. That's the thing. It's your Drake fans. You're like, I'm going to support Drake. What if they change the mascot too to just a big old like cartoonish Drake? It's like an owl. It's like an OVO. Oh, that's such a way better idea. Oh my gosh. They should should do that. I don't think they will. But I mean, the Toronto owls don't have the same, the same kind of bite. But uh, well, that's why you call them the Toronto Drakes. You have the OVO like app, like owl, like and he just needs to keep buying more of that team. Like he needs to own that team fully, and then he can run it. And I don't really know if he has the time to do it, but he can make time. Come on. Yeah, he's like recording down the street from the stadium. It's not even that big of a deal. He lives in the city, so he could do it. 
Okay. Like I, I need to eventually actually stop this Drake conversation because it will take the entire podcast and then it's just going <laughs> to, I'm going to have to call this entire podcast something different. So <laughs> speaking of your actual new job, that is like maybe kind of Drake related. You might write about Drake. Uh, what kind of content are you writing for Polygon right now? Once again, it's early, but like, what is it? Is it features? Is it news posts? Is it everything? And like, what kind of subject matter are you uh, leaning toward? So we would like it to be a little bit of everything. It's still new. We're still figuring it out ourselves. So unfortunately, I can't say exactly um, what the goal is because we're we're doing we're figuring it out as we go. We know that. I mean, I was a Polygon reader from. The, I remember, the, like the rest of us, I was there when the site launched. Not well, not there. I was sitting on my couch yeah. when the site launched. But I remember it happening. I remember following it um, with the videos beforehand. Um, and so this has been an absolute, it's been a dream come true to really, to really work for Polygon. Uh, and before that, I had always been interested in entertainment writing and honing that skill. So it was a perfect, uh, collaboration. But my point was, my point was, is that I remember reading Polygon and like the majority of our readers, I mean, we all love gaming, but we all have other interests too that revolve around entertainment, whether it's, um, Jessica Jones that's coming out on Netflix or whether it's the alien movies from Ridley Scott, whatever it is, that kind of interest we want to help better serve our audience. Um, and so we developed this entertainment section for the site or that we uh, are definitely putting a lot more effort into um, to keep going. And we've had nothing but really great feedback from everyone. They seem to really love it. So we're just going to keep trying to provide the best reporting and features and recaps and and reviews that we can for everyone. Yeah, and it's it's a change that uh, even like Kotaku kind of has a similar thing where instead of just being about games, it's more, you know, quote unquote, geek culture. Mm-hmm. Um, when did that change exactly happen for Polygon? Because you mentioned that you know you, this is a new position, you're kind of figuring it out as you're going. But I mean, even before this, I remember starting to see stuff about movies on there and TV shows. Initially, I was kind of confused because I've been like semi-critical of Polygon in the past because they did have this big, this big start where they're talking about kind of like changing gaming journalism, not in those exact words, but it felt that way. And then you know a lot of changes happened there. They got they kind of moved away from the long form stuff that uh, Russ was doing and. Uh, they moved more towards like entertainment. When exactly did that start? I mean, I know you've only been there for a bit, but when did that process kind of start happening? Yeah, I I wouldn't know either because I've only been this is my second week, so I mm. couldn't even comment on that because I don't know when those discussions even took place. Um, like you, I've been following it for the most part just from reading it daily, and I think websites in general undergo changes. I think as the audience changes, the demand for specific content changes and we still do um i think some of the best reporting we still do some we still do i think the best features hands down and we still dedicate a lot of time to really um bringing the best content and the best stories that we can to our audience uh when these changes happened i don't know i remember seeing them with you and i think they're they i think they're they have plans for they have plans for entertainment to be involved in that obviously and they have plans for for their gaming coverage what those are, I am not privy to, so I can't, couldn't even comment on them. No, no problem. So, I mean, first off, two things. One, how cool does it feel to say we when referencing Polygon <laughs> instead of saying Polygon? It is, it is, it is surreal. It is yeah. a really surreal feeling. It's, um, I remember, I remember back a couple of years ago, I wanted to, we, a couple of friends and I in Toronto wanted to launch our own kind of magazine dedicated to gaming uh, and entertainment. Actually, it was going to be, we kind of like based it off Polygon. And I remember talking about how cool it would be to um, write alongside and talk to some of the editors and, and reporters that I now get to talk to daily. Uh, and so it's a very, very surreal experience. And I'm, I, I can't even express how grateful I am to be even be given the opportunity because it's it really has like I said before it's a bit of a dream come true for me and this is a site that I've always wanted to write for with writers that I've always admired and editors I've always admired and yeah it 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 feels pretty cool to answer your question <laughs> it feels pretty great no I bet and second you talked about you know changes to Polygon you've had changes over the course of your writing career too because initially uh, I mean we wrote together for a bit you were much more focused on video games. Yes. Um, and it seemed like you had kind of stepped away from that and, like you said, moved more into entertainment, more into these other passions of yours. So uh, kind of a another double question here. So what initially got you into games writing? And to follow up on that, what pushed you away from it? Sure. Those are both really good questions. So I was really into games writing. I got into it in high school. Um, and again, like the majority of people you ask, it's, I liked games. I liked writing. Mm. Um, and it just seemed like a natural yeah, fit. Yeah, match made in heaven. Exactly. 
what I realized coming up through college and going to journalism school was that I really loved news. I loved reporting. I loved interviewing. I loved talking to people. And I thought, I thought enthusiast press is really great, but there's a desire for original reporting, which we can see with the websites that are out right now. I mean, um, whether it's Polygon or, or anybody else out there, we're doing original reporting and people, people love it because that's what they want to read, which is great. Um, I think what happened was, and at the time I was doing a lot of freelance uh, with you. I was doing uh, things with other, other outlets. Um, I had freelance for Polygon before twice writing an opinion piece and a feature. Yeah. For us. Um, and I think what happened was I'd always had the same interest in entertainment. I was doing entertainment at the same time. They were both, both interests of mine. Um, I think what happened was in the past couple of years or year and a half or so, the gaming, um, press took a lot of hit because of Gamergate and going through people's mentions on Twitter and seeing what, um, friends and, and colleagues were going through, uh, it wasn't a scene that I necessarily wanted to be a part of. Um, I respected everyone in it, like, and I still do. I think people who do, do people who are writing about games right now are some of the best writers out there, um, and I give them credit for for dealing with a lot of the stuff that they have to deal with. But I just didn't want to be embedded in that feeling of I'm going to write a story and then this is either this is going to get a lot of hate online, maybe, and yeah. if it is, it's going to be a constant battle with people. And so what I did was. I kind of stopped writing about games, continued to play in them, stopped writing. And at well, at the same time as I stopped writing, there were opportunities that came up for me to to uh, broaden my writing on television, music, and and film. And so I really jumped into that um, and, re- and really loved the entertainment scene. I loved um, the award shows, like covering the actual show, like not the red carpet, covering the shows. I loved doing the, the interviews and sitting down with directors and getting really interesting uh you know, talking about art really with really mm-hmm. interesting people. Um, and just so I just decided to go down that route. I mean, I would I would still love to write about games. I just think it's going through a change right now. I think it's gaming. Is, I think gaming journalism right now is at a really interesting point because it's kind of redefining itself again yeah. uh, because of this whole thing. And watching that happen has been absolutely fantastic. Um and so maybe I maybe in the future I'll write about it again. But for now, I mean, I'm so happy writing my entertainment and it, and that's for me that 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 fulfills me. Yeah, and then you're right. It has it's changed a lot. Some of the most interesting uh, creative writing that I've seen has been happening uh, in this industry. And I mean, even review writing, it's more and more we're we're exploring games in new ways that don't feel like. And I've said this before, but like. Previously, and I'm not saying all people did this, but there was a lot of reviews that read like product reviews instead of uh, actual like really deep critical analysis of a game. And games and games are have advanced themselves, so there's more room to talk about a game in deeper terms than just "Hey, does the shooting feel good?" or "The online's pretty okay." Like we can now talk about these themes. We can now there's games like that that have these interesting stories that you can like I can talk about this in unique ways. And that's actually honestly why I've spent so much time reviewing games lately honestly i'm I actually, you've been reviewing games for quite some time now yes i've oh geez so i started when i was um 17 so i'm 23 now so it's about six years and uh i got started getting like paid because you know a lot of the early work is if you're still kind of building yourself up a lot of the early work is going to be just kind of volunteer stuff or on your own blog uh my first like paid paid one was on ign when i was i think i was 20 20 or 21 that's um, a good feeling. It was, oh my God, the greatest how, feeling. How did that feel? Oh my, I cried. I 100%. Yeah, I, it was on the front page and it was a feature and it was this thing I'd spent a lot of time with. And I remember just like, that was like the, the culmination of three years of work. And of course, it's still cool every time I see my like byline on a site like that. But comparatively, like that was the moment where I'm like, holy shit, like <laughs> I did it. Um, and, and you continue to do it, which is even more impressive. It's it's fun. It's fun. To, it, once again, to every every time I see my byline, it's still it's still special. And it's been at this point, I am mostly exclusive to um, GameSpot. Uh, it's just been easier for me because I, I have a full time job that isn't related to games. So it's it's hard to do that freelance grind of writing all these pitches and sending them out, and you know, trying to get on a new site and stuff like that when you're working forty hours already but yeah and reviewing has just been it's been a lot of fun because one it gives me an excuse to play games and here's something that's weird that's happened and i kind of want to talk to you about this too so when i write about games i don't play a lot of games outside of my work now which is a change for me where if i'm not this sounds super weird if i'm not getting paid to play the game 
there's not as much drive to play a game. And so for you, now that you've kind of stepped away from writing about games, have you kind of rediscovered a love for gaming? Like, or was, was that ever gone at all while you were writing? You know, it, 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 that's an interesting question. And I wouldn't say that it kind of, that I kind of rediscovered my love of gaming because I still play games. But what I re- what I discovered, um, and what I actually, and I think this is so interesting, is that because I'm no longer in the mindset of I have to follow the news of it all the time, mm-hmm. I've really enjoyed discovering games that may be old to some people, but I'm just discovering them. Oh, without uh, a doubt, yeah. And it's and it's like and it's I'm get able to play it, and then I can look it up, and there's all these amazing stories on it, like on Polygon. I can go to Polygon, I can read stories about it, and it's an older game, but I'm just discovering it. Um, and so I've loved that aspect of it. Like I love, or I love just being able to decide, you know what, I'm not gonna, I don't, I, got, I don't feel the pressure to play all these games anymore to, in order to keep up the conversation. I can just play what I want. So if that means that at the end of the day, I just want to play Beautiful Joe again for like the hundredth oh, time. Let's just play Beautiful Joe again. That game's so good. It's so good. Or like if I just want to spend a night, I'm trying to think, even, even with just like a classic, if I just want to play Pokemon if I just want to have a DDR session at my place with my brother, like that is what, like that's what I really enjoy. So I kind of, I've rediscovered, I guess, the fun aspect of it as opposed to the necessity to keep up with it. Yeah, and there is a necessity to keep up with it when you're writing about games. And you're totally right that there's a pressure. There's a pressure where you have to play the biggest games to be able to like join that conversation to exactly. have that reference point especially if you're a feature writer uh there's a lot of pressure to like i need to know like what's going on and when i was a news writer um i was writing you know five to seven stories a day uh and did that for about a year and like i don't regret that but geez you, you games become this different thing where you need to know everything that's happening like oh this this game got delayed this dlc is like really terrible this is this this and you we need to figure out every little thing and right now it's because i'm just reviewing games and i'm going to get back into feature writing soon i've had uh, recently some different sites kind of come to me and say like hey would you like to start writing features and i might start doing that if i have the time congratulations thank you it's that's exciting it's always nice when people come to you instead of you oh, going yeah. to them it's one of the greatest feelings so i've had that recently so i might kind of get back into that when when you know my job and my GameSpot gig kind of allows for it but yeah it's been freeing it's been freeing to be able to after a long day of work come home and instead of play like you know all the newest games I can be like I really just want to play NBA right now and I want to sit on my couch and not think for an hour so I'm gonna do that or even like Call of Duty and kind of <laughs> the older I get and the busier I get and the more I become a, an adult the more I just kind of want to use games as like this disconnect where I can sit on my couch grab a beer like eat some chips and play some call of duty and that's the thing uh that i tell people who ask me what, when i was doing entertainment reporting freelance and when i was doing it on staff for the last little while they ask how do we how do i get into it uh or like what's the hardest part of it is another question i get quite a lot because people kind of go oh you're recapping television that's the greatest job of all time and anybody who recaps television will tell you it is i mean it is a great job and it is the most grueling aspect of being a critic it is you have to watch the show and then you have to get it up as soon as you can, um, as you know, for SEO purposes. Uh, and you yeah. have to get it up and, and people are going to talk about it. And it, as fun as it is, especially if you really love the show, like if you're recapping something like Mad Men and you love it, it's it's it doesn't even feel like work. But there are shows where you have to recap because you know that your audience is going to want that you might not necessarily want. And it does it does feel a little bit of that, about that pressure you're talking about. Like, I have to watch this. I have to understand the context. I have to be able to put it in context. Mm-hmm people who haven't and like you said for me with entertainment it's become a lot more like on sundays i am going to watch keeping up with the kardashians because that is my mindless hour of terrible television (laughs) that i do not need to talk about i don't need to write about and it's just it's and i know i'm gonna laugh because it's so stupid but for me like when i'm when i'm spending my the rest of my week watching all these different things for work whether it's at polygon or whether it was at my jobs before I think, like you said, with gaming, you need something where it's like, I'm not going to think about this. I'm just going to enjoy the entertainment aspect that it provides. Yeah, no, without a doubt. it's It's been a good release for me. And it, a lot of people, uh, first off, I always hate the, like, that's such an easy job kind of thing, which, you know, of course, you get that a lot when you're doing any sort of, like, games running. Like, oh, you play video games for a living? Like, no, like, it's not really how it is. Because also, like you said, you're spending weekends trying to catch up with like the different games out there and for you entertainment is pretty broad so how much time do you spend just 
like outside of your normal working hours, like watching TV, catching up with all this stuff, researching all this stuff. Of course you love it, but how much extra time is there doing that? So uh, it's actually funny that you brought up that question because I just did a, I think it's on Vulture. You can go to Vulture and they have a calculator to calculate how many hours of television you're going to watch this fall. And so this fall season, which is September to mid-May, early June, like that's late, but mid-May usually, uh, even mid-April, I will be watching 368 hours of television. Uh, a, lot oh. of that, a lot of that is not for recap. A lot of that is because I want to either, because I either want to watch it, I've already been following it, or like you said, it's for news. It's like, I, okay, I don't watch Arrow usually, but I know that a, our Polygon has a, the, our audience loves Arrow. I put the question on Twitter. I said, hey, how many of you are watching Arrow? And, and a lot of people responded with, it's such a great show. They wanted to talk about it. Mm. So that's a show that I, obviously our audience is interested in exploring. And we would love to maybe maybe explore that further. So I'm going to start watching Arrow. you know. But that means that i got to get caught up on, I think, the first three seasons or two seasons. I have to get caught up there first. So that's a lot of binging that I'm going to have to do on Netflix. And uh, so like you said, it's. People say it's an easy job, and it is the greatest job in the world. I would yeah. not want any other job, uh, and I love it. But there is there is a, a, a tiring aspect to it when you're thinking about how much content you have to get caught up on. And, and the thing is, it's not like you're just watching television. Or it's not like you're just playing a game, right? Yeah. Like when you're when I used to do game reviews, and uh, like I don't know how you do it, but I do the same with film and television. Like I'm taking notes the entire time because I know I'm not going to remember this very important scene three episodes from now, but I know it's important. I occasionally do. So it depends. If there's something that sticks out that I know I need to talk about that I might forget otherwise, like something that happens during a game, a certain, like you said, a certain scene, that's when I will like get out my laptop, like look at my Word doc and be like, remember to talk about this. It's something I need to do more because there's definitely times where I will write a review and I'm really happy with it. But I'll look back and be like, oh, there's this one really interesting point I wanted to make um, that I should have taken a note on so yeah it's it's definitely something people definitely do reviews very differently a lot of people will uh, like you said do a lot of notes a lot of people will like have a draft or an outline beforehand to kind of be like let's make sure i want to talk about this i've been bad in terms of i will sit down and just start writing like i'll have nothing really in mind until like let's just start putting words on paper like puke all of this out and then let's see if we can salvage anything afterward. I have a really weird writing style. But yeah, <laughs> notes notes are usually, I would recommend that to most people other than me. But that's the thing is that every writer finds their way of doing it, right? Like I know a lot of critics who don't because, and they just, they have fantastic memories that I know I do not have. Yeah. Like they can, I talk to people who do Game of Thrones recaps and I said, I can't even get through an episode without being, okay, who's this guy again? <sighs> what so is the importance of his names. role? Yeah, you there get lost in the different like families. And, and I love Game of Thrones, but I get like lost in like, okay, who's this? Like, what is, why is he mattering? Who's he having exactly. sex with? Who cares? Like, yeah, it's hard to like to keep up I'm, with that stuff. And I'm the exact same way as you. I'm the exact same way. And I've met critics who are just like, this is this person. This is why they're important. This is like their family lineage. and they And they know it. And it's like, so they don't need to take notes for Game of Thrones. They know the important. I mean, they're usually pretty big fans of the novel, so they're they're just ingrained in that scene. But it is it's it's a it at the end of the day, it's a job. You're expected to as when I do recaps, for example, or even film reviews. There's my job is to not only tell you okay what's happened or what the context of this film is, what the plot is, but my job is to help you understand why it's so important. Like why does this matter? Yeah. Uh, so like with the, I did, recently did a review of The Martian for Polygon, and one of the themes I talked about quite a lot in The Martian is this idea of hope and humanity. Because I think at the end of the day, that's what this is about. The movie is literally about a man stuck on Mars who has to get home. But the movie, uh, metaphorically, is about this this uh, human kind of notion that we have to to hope and to and to work against the elements and to continue to strive for the success and 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 survive. Mm. Uh, and so my job with that is to make is to kind of bring that up into the conversation and maybe maybe uh, alert someone who hadn't thought of that previously to this notion. And I know that games journalism or games reviews do the same thing. It's this idea of like, okay, we're here's uh, this game, we're going to slash a bunch of undead people. But at the same time, let's look at the context of it. Let's examine why this is important. Let's examine why we're enjoying it. 
Uh, and I think that's that's a good review. And I know Polygon, I know our amazing review staff, that's what they do all the time. Uh, and I know that on our end of the entertainment, that's what we want to do. Like, that's the type of reviews we want to see. And the same with recaps. We don't want to just say, this is what happened. We want to say, why is this important? Um, another example is I recently recapped the premiere of American Horror Story Hotel, mm. which was fine had it not been for one terrible three minute scene that i won't get into but i spent the majority of my recap on this one scene because i said it changes the entire way we view the rest of the episode and maybe even the rest of the season and so this needs to be addressed so we're going to take time to address it even though it was only three minutes yeah uh, and so i think that's what the type of content we're we want to do more of at, at polygon because we do have a very you know, we respect our, our, our community, our community respects us. And it's this really great relationship we built and we trust each other. Um, and so we know that they want uh, well thought out content and we want to be able to bring that for, to them. Yeah. And it, it goes even just beyond well thought out content. It, you're when you're like exploring those different themes, different ideas, these different connections, the context, um, a lot of times that's when you get to kind of insert your own personality in there. And more and more we we're pushing not just game journalism, like other journalism in general, just toward more personality based writing. Um, you look at something like Giant Bomb where, you know, it's the, what people go there for are like the people who write the stuff instead of just the content. So like instead of like, oh, I just want I just looking for just a wrap up of this. Like, no, I want to read Julia's wrap up or I want to read Josiah's wrap up. It's it's cool to that that has more of a place now where people are following not just sites but specific writers and i think polygon does a good job with that uh kotaku does a good job with that and like i said giant bomb where people the people there kind of have their own fan base outside of just the site itself absolutely yeah so that's been it's been a cool shift it's something here's something so i've talked to other freelancers and one of the more difficult things about being a freelancer is you it is very difficult to build uh, that audience because you're writing for a bunch of different sites. You don't have the actual large platform usually to bolster your, you know, hashtag brand in that way. <laughs> um, where like you look at something like, you know, like GameSpot. So, I mean, I've written there you know, dozens of times, but, you know, I'm not on their, their live streams, of course. I'm not on site. I'm not on their videos. I'm not on stuff like that. So for me, like, you know, people's some people know who I am, but you don't have that sort of system to help support you. And even um, on Metacritic, when you see a uh, like GameSpot review that I wrote for NBA 2K16, my name isn't there. GameSpot's name is there. With movies and music and other sort of reviews, there's the name of the outlet and the name of the person. So it's just very different in games where still freelancers are kind of struggling to find relevance. And do you think for you, now that you have like you're going to be, you know, your full time at Polygon. Are you going to start being in the videos and the podcasts? And do you think that is something that can kind of bolster not just your Twitter presence, but people will start knowing you more? Uh, I would love to do more videos. Uh, as for podcasts, we don't know because we haven't really discussed that. Mm -hmm. A lot of this is still new to the site. So we're kind of, again, figuring it out as we go. Um, and so I, 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 I don't know of any conversations going on. Um, and even if I did, I probably couldn't even talk about it. But I don't know of any going on right now. Um, but yeah, I know that uh, we have a really great video editing te uh, video team in general. They're fantastic. I would love to do more stuff with them. Uh, but as far as the following, yeah, you know, I've always been a big believer in the way that um, Polygon for sure and definitely The Verge, the way that The Verge kind of operates in the sense that their writers are on Twitter constantly. Yes. I mean, I don't think you can... I remember we had this issue at other places. You can't order your staff to be on Twitter. I mean, that's not their job. It, I mean, it's their job to tweet their their contents, their job to make sure that they are promoting it, but are their content... Oh, my God, I feel terrible saying that word. Their stories. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It feel, it's just, you know, when it's ingrained in you, like, it's... Oh, yeah, and, like, content is such, like, a like a corporate, like lifeless yeah. way to put it. And like, I, I, I do it sometimes too. I'm like, oh yeah, my content, like now, like my reviews, my writing, my articles, yeah. like I feel well, every time I say it. So yeah, we have, you're, I mean, you're definitely in charge of tweeting out your own stories and your reviews and, and uh, making sure that you do kind of use the social network as like social, social networks available to your advantage. That being said, I mean, nobody uh, has ordered at anyone ever places to be on Twitter. They're just on Twitter and being on Twitter has helped them you know, kind of build their audience on top of being in one place and 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 garnering um, uh, an audience that way. But I've always been a big believer that, like you just said, people want to read personality-based stuff majority of the time. They can get their news from AP. They can get their like I'm thinking, and I'm talking broad broad yeah. like news now. 
they can get their news anywhere. But think of like newspapers. You reason you read certain newspapers is generally because of um, the columnists. It's because there's an opinion, there's a voice to that newspaper, and you read them, and then the other news just comes with it. And that's for sports sections, entertainment sections, news. That's everything. Um, and so I think Polygon has done a really great job of saying, okay, not only do we have amazing news writers who can cover news objectively, who can do the, the class A reporting that we need, they also have personalities that we really want to get everyone to know. I mean, we have such great people on staff and people know that from Twitter. And so that's what I've always kind of styled myself after. I've always been, you know, I'm going to be on Twitter and and I hate this word, engaging, talking. I'm going to yep. talk to as many people as I can on Twitter because a lot of the people on Twitter who I talk to are have become friends or we become friendly. And it's really, I, and I love being on it. And I think for anyone who really wants to get into um, freelancing or or a full-time job, which like you said, is very difficult to come by, you need to be on Twitter. If not trying to be friendly with the editors that you admire, at least trying to network with them it, and saying, hey, this is what I do. Um, I is it cool? I remember when I when I was coming up. Here's a story. When I was coming up, I tweeted uh, Emily Nussbaum from the New Yorker, mm-hmm. and I said, "Hey, I wrote this. You're a writer that I really admire. Would you mind reading it?" And she did, and she read it, and then she she got in touch with me, and she said, "Do you mind if I email you some uh, notes?" And I said, "I would absolutely love that. Thank you so much." And so she did, and so we kind of had this really really quick two minute conversation, but. At that point, I had made myself known to her in that in that respect. I had said, listen, I want to do this. You are someone I admire and someone I like to base myself off of. Can you give me advice? And I think people are scared to do that because of rejection, and I totally get that. And I think rejection is the scariest thing. And I think that as a writer, you need to get used to it. If you it's, are a writer, you... If you are scared of rejection, you've got to get rid of that. Like you, you have to. You're going to get rejected. It's, it's similar with the idea of getting edits back. You're going to get harsh edits sometimes that for a minute you're like, I'm the worst fucking writer in the world. Holy, like this is awful. But you need to not only get used to rejection, but the fact that like people are, are going to be sometimes harsh on you, but it's all constructive. It's all going to make you better. And I, there's been, I've been rejected before with, I've been rejected by Polygon once I was, um, I sent in a feature idea that ended up being, uh, on, it was either like IGN or video gamer. And the initial pitch was like rejected by Polygon. And that was, I was at a time where I was like, fucking, I hit the ground running with, uh, after the IGN, I got on IGN, I got on GameSpot, I got on video gamer, I got on paste. I remember kept, this time. I remember. Yeah, it was, it was yeah. weird. It was, um, everything was just clicking and like, I was just on a roll and then I had what I thought I don't remember what it was now but what I thought was a really good feature idea and I pitched Polygon I got a no and I remember that was like this weird moment where I had to like stop and be like okay one you're not the worst person in the world like you're, you're gonna be okay two like someone else could have pitched similar content and three sometimes your pitches just aren't gonna land and that's okay like that is you need to like you said like you're gonna get rejected honestly if you send out 10 pitches to 10 different sites there's a good chance at least half of them are gonna get rejected before i started working in polygon i had pitched russ twice before then rejected mm-hmm. uh then pitched him a third time and he approved it uh pitched at the time it was chris plant pitched him an opinion rejected but then pitched him another opinion approved mm. and before that it was i was pitching to a bunch of places and just being rejected or maybe one or two were getting approved uh and the thing that kept me going was I, there's a quote and I, and I can't say it. So I'm just going to kind of, I, I can't remember the quote. So basically what it said was that I'd, ra- I'd much rather have an editor who like tore up my sheet than one who gave it back and said, Oh, it's fine. Just run with it. Yep. Because that is going to, that editor who's going, I'm going to go through this and I'm going to tell you where you made mistakes and how you're going to fix it is going to make you a better writer. And that is the type. I think it's so important. If you are a young writer, and you don't know kind of what your next step is. The one thing that I was very, very fortunate to have was a mentor. I had a mentor who took my writing and said, this is how we're going to change it for the better, and this is how we're going to improve it. And I was very fortunate to have that coming up in my career. And if you can find a mentor, whether that be an editor you admire, whether that be a teacher, whether that be a, a friend who might be a successful writer, you need someone to, to kind of show you what you're doing wrong in order for you to kind of see what you should be doing right. Yes. Uh, and without that, it's really hard 
to better yourself. And so that is, I mean, I was very fortunate to find that early in my career. Um, and I, but that's what I always tell people, you find a mentor who's going to be uh, harsh with you, who's going to, and who's going to not coddle you, who's not like, you're, you're, this is why the, this is why there's, you know, you don't go to your parents because they're always going to say, this is great. You're fantastic. And you need someone who's going to tell you, uh, this is shit. Mm. Please rewrite it like entirely. Uh, and I'm going to go over with you about what, what you could have done better. And if you find that, I promise your writing is going to get stronger over time because you have someone who's watching you do it, who wants to genuinely help you. Yeah. The mentor thing is advice that I try to give people as much as possible with like the caveat that like, I understand like this isn't an easy thing to do. It's not like, Oh, Hey, by the way, go find a really good writer who will look at your stuff and take the time, which I think you're right. Like without that, I would be nowhere. Um, one of my good friends and actually my college roommate, uh, Sam Nolan, who will eventually be on this podcast. Uh, he has kind of been, we've been good about editing each other's work. Uh, and you know, we'll back when we were writing for free, we would do it a lot. And like, sometimes if I'm like really my, like banging my head against a wall and like a feature, I'm, you know, sending to someone be like, Hey, can you just like help me? Like, look at this for a bit. I'm stuck. And it's helped me so much to a point where I'm finally able to, if I show him something, he's like, no, you're, you're fine. Like you're, you're okay. And I've, I've just learned so much and it's finally like, it's finally starting to kick in where, um, like very rarely do, and this is not me bragging anyway, very rarely do I uh, get edits back from my features or my reviews, mainly because I've had this mentor or multiple, honestly, throughout my life where all of these issues I ever have, like I used to just be way too wordy. I would have sentences where I'm like, oh, this is just, a, you're getting lost in this sentence. It's like, should be two sentences or you can cut half of it. And my writing has become so much sharper and so much more simplified. And I mean that in a good way, because for me, like the better you get as a writer, I feel like the less you actually like the, the shorter some of your pieces will get because you can just kind of hone them down and be like, well, I don't need to use all these words. I don't need to. I could say this so much simpler and having that person around. It's 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 the reason I'm on these sites now. So, yeah, I think that's some of the most important advice. And I've you know, people have reached out to me over time and like asked for me to look at their stuff. And I've you know tried my best. It's, it's hard. Because, you know, we're all busy people. But if you can, it is unbelievably important to find someone who knows their shit and will be honest with you. The best advice uh, I ever got, and I was lucky enough, I was very lucky enough to come up in an online German world learning at a newspaper. The best advice I ever got was write with a word count in line yep. uh, in mind. And so at a newspaper, you know, online, if it's like, okay, your word count 750, you can sometimes hit 8, 850. And it's like, yeah, you know what? It's okay. We don't really mind. It's just two extra paragraphs. In a newspaper or in a magazine, you can, like, there's there's no room. You cannot go over. You can't go 755. Yeah. You have to be 750. And writing with a word count in mind is going to help you really kind of, like you said, all new writers are, are, are flowy. All Because every writer thinks they're a novelist. And so they have to add in all these adjectives and they have to add in all these like really interesting words that no one understands. Yeah. And you learn as you become, as you become a better writer and as you become a writer who's been doing it for much longer that nobody cares if you're using intelligent words. Nobody cares if you, if you have really nice flowing sentences, they want simplified. They want something they can read without having to think about it too much. They just want to read. Yeah. And it, people could suss it out really quick. If you've been doing like the right click synonym thing to find better sounding words, like that oh, is yeah. such a thing where you read them like, Oh no, you don't, you barely know what that word means. You're just trying, you, you didn't want to use the same word twice. So you're switching it around, but there are also people who can in features and in reviews. Kevin Van Ord for me has always been the example. He's always been the person that I read for the longest time before I worked for him. Uh, who I was like, man, like you are using like larger words, but in ways that sound so natural, you're using it in ways that once again, it sounds like you knew that word. It doesn't sound like you were looked it up. So there is absolutely room for like the flowy. But yeah, it's usually the simpler stuff is the better stuff. Well, and the other thing, especially for freelancers, like freelancers, um, if you don't pitch this, definitely pitch it. One, it looks better to editors if you're thinking about it. And two, it's going to get you more money in the long run. Um, pitch sidebars. If I, and here's a perfect example. When I was at the Sun uh, before here, I was I had to cover Drake's OVO Fest, which was fantastic. I had a great time, and I had a hard, I think seven seven or eight hundred word limit. It was hard. It was one page, whatever. 
Uh, so I hit it, and I realized, you know, I talked about how important Drake was to the city. I talked about his performance. I talked about who he brought out and all the people there. But I didn't get to talk about the community of of Drake fans at the show, and and some, and especially for a Toronto show, and this is a Toronto paper, and this is like Toronto's guy. Mm. I thought that was so important. And so I told my editor, I said, listen, I've got these three kids behind me, these three guys in tears when Drake's on stage because this is their guy. This is the guy who's reinvented the city for them. Mm. I said, I think it's worth maybe an extra 250 words sidebar, even uh, if we rearrange the layout, even if it's just online. And he absolutely agreed. He absolutely loved it. We threw it up online and it did so well. And people, that was the piece people preferred because it was this whole, here's what it was like to go to a Drake show in Toronto, as opposed to here's what Drake did at his show, which you can read from any um, paper or any outlet who was there. So always pitch sidebars if you think you've got a really great reason for one. If you think you've got extra content from an interview that is really interesting, but just won't fit into your piece for whatever reason, pitch it. If you're talking to a game developer and you guys have a 10 minute conversation beforehand about how, you know, how uh, he's a new father. And so he's got all these challenges of being a dad on top of playing a game. But that doesn't really go into your context of, well, I'm just talking to him about his game and the future of it. Pitch that as a sidebar because the feature angle on that, the human feature angle, is the perfect companion to the actual piece that you've been assigned to write. And majority of the time, majority, the your editor is going to want it. Yeah, and that human angle more and more. Similar to the idea that people like to see personality in the writer. They like to see that personality in the human piece of that in the actual uh, final article. That's I absolutely agree. And uh, what's cool about what you'd said about you know you at the OVO Fest, it's that's the one big advantage of being on site because so much more like I feel like I don't need to go to E3 to be able to cover E3. Mm -hmm. uh, but in your case, if you wouldn't have been there, you wouldn't have had that specific experience that ended up becoming a, you know, a strong sidebar like that. So even though more and more, it seems like we can all work forever from our couches and just not move. Uh, there's totally an advantage to going to events um, beyond just like networking. You can, you know, have these cool things that wouldn't have happened otherwise. Um so kind of moving back, what was the actual process of getting the full-time Polygon job? What was the process of, you know, you seeing the posting, the interview, uh, just the entire experience? Because I've actually, I have been, and I won't get too much detail about it, but like, I, I have before been into a like interview scenario with uh, a major site for a full-time job, but I kind of want to hear how yours differs. Sure. So before I get into that, I will give a little bit of history on, on my on coming up. So I was graduated college in 2010 mm. uh and got in, in in that time in those three and a half years that i was at college oh no sorry four four and a half four and a half years that i was at the college um i had been doing a lot of freelance writing for a bunch of different sites games and entertainment that's what i knew i wanted to do and i was and i was i had always been reaching out to editors and finally kind of started building up a portfolio in order to, and so that kind of story yeah when i graduated um there was a three-month internship opportunity at the Toronto Sun, which is a big uh, newspaper in Toronto. It's one of the biggest in Canada, actually, probably. And so I, I took it, and it was great. Uh, and this is what I will say to people, actually, really quickly, who want to get into games or entertainment journalism. Do news journalism first. Do, a, do an internship. If I know that's like, I know it's tough to do an internship, and if you can't afford it, um, that's a whole other situation. And it's terrible that that's the era we live in now, yeah. that... You know, people can't afford to do it, even if that's when they really want. Um, so looking to see if you could find paid internships in your city at a newspaper, at a local newspaper, or even a, a one to two day a week internship at a newspaper. But do news reporting, because if you learn the basics of news reporting, you're going to be able to apply that anywhere else, especially beat reporting. Meaning if you learn to build up contacts within a police force or at City Hall, that being that understanding of how you develop contacts and and keep contacts and and how to handle contacts when they become friends because that's what happens mm -hmm. is they will become your friends oh, without a doubt you we've had reporters who have been asked to be godparents of the of people of politicians children it's that like this at the sun that will happen and, and you learn how to kind of handle that area uh because it's great um but go and do news reporting so i did a three-month internship with the sun doing news reporting it was very valuable i i loved it when i when i finished there uh, at the time, I one of those 
like right places, right time scenarios. I was very lucky. This was 80% luck. Uh, they needed someone to be a national online editor for a site called Canoe, uh, which is a sister partnership to them. And you would work both with the Sun and Canoe um, as a national online editor, meaning that I was both writing original content and editing um, content coming in from other reporters or putting content online, all that kind of fun stuff. And I did that for three years. Uh, and in that time, I worked closely with our entertainment editor and started to do more work with him. Um, and so I spent a lot, where, wherever you are, based the point of that is wherever you are, look for opportunity because opportunity comes out of everywhere. Opportunity comes out of coffees, co- like walks to get coffee because that's how that started. Mm-hmm. I went for a walk, I went for a walk with a couple editors to go get a coffee, mentioned that I had been covering a champ before and would be interested in covering it. And when they needed someone, they knew who to call. Like just kind of dropping these hints around your work area or wherever you see opportunity is so important. Like you always have to keep an eye out for that, which then leads into, it's a good segue, <laughs> into uh, the Polygon posting. So I had applied to Polygon twice before. I yep. um, didn't even get callbacks for it. I applied this time for an entertainment reporter, saw it on. I was scouring the Vox Media careers board daily. I Vox was a company when I was in college, I'd always wanted to work for. I love the way they treated their employees. I love their uh, mandates. I loved everything about Vox was just, uh, and Vox Media uh, was very, um, I, I just, I loved it. And I always wanted to work there. Yeah. So Polygon, and Polygon uh, was my favorite site. And so Polygon was this dream set that I always wanted to write for. So I'd always apply when there was a position available that I thought would be great for me. So this entertainment editor, uh, sorry, entertainment reporter position came up and I applied um and basically just was contacted for uh, an interview so we did a skype interview um and then the process after that was just you know it's like a typical interview process so you get call a second call back and you discuss it further and um and so it, it just it was i did the the, the typical interview process and mm-hmm. um wound up receiving the job and uh it was something that i didn't ex- expect to happen um because I didn't want to think that I could get it. Because if I didn't, I would have been heartbroken. Yeah, no, uh, I absolutely understand that. That's one of so the you, so, hardest so things. You, so you do the, I'm not going to get it. They're going to go with someone else. Just don't even think about it. Um, and so when I did get it, I uh, couldn't stop grinning. I remember that. I was grinning from ear to ear the entire night. Um, I think I got pizza afterwards and just <laughs> went home. Celebration and- pizza? Yeah, it was just, it was like, it was such a, this moment of like intense euphoria. And I was, it was, I was happy. And it's been nothing but absolute fantastic times and incredible learning experiences and getting to know the most amazing people ever since. It's, it's really, I can't even explain it. It's just, um, it's such a surreal thing to be a part of because it's a site that I, uh, not grew up, but it's a site that I wanted to write for ever since I could remember, ever since they came into existence, yeah. and even before then. I remember before Polygon even launched, this is going to make me sound like a nerd, I remember before Polygon even launched, I would go to their website. Do you remember they had that website up and it was like, here's who's part of Polygon? Yep. And it was like the little like pyramid almost. Mm. And I remember just like refreshing that every day to see if they announced more people. Like, oh, I wonder who's going to join the team. <laughs> and I remember being like, I remember following them all on Twitter. If I hadn't been following them, some of them before. And so I remember this happening. I remember the launch happening at night. My friends had been over and it was this exciting moment. So the whole experience from the minute I got, from the minute I applied to the minute I got the call that I received the job was surreal. And it's only been like that ever since. And that it helps that you have this, you know, very detailed understanding of their content and their writers so that, you know, when you're applying for that, you can be like, hey, by the way, like I know pretty much everything you do so I can immediately be slotted right into the system and not have to learn it. And that's important for freelancing in general uh, is just understanding like, hey, what kind of content do these people write? What well, are absolutely. they looking for? And it, 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 if you're if you're pitching a website, you should know some, I mean, most really, but at least some of the writers, you should know most, if not, I mean, at least some of their content. I remember when people asked me, what was your favorite part of Polygon? I can always point to it. My favorite thing that I, that that came out of Polygon that made me want to write for them was Chris Plant, uh, who's now The Verge, wrote a amazing kind of profile piece feature on Ken Levine of uh, Bioshock fame. Um, and it was just, I remember reading and thinking, nobody is doing gaming journalism like this. This is, um, a, it's very adult, it's very uh, mature, it's very in-depth. Um, 
And I remember thinking that is exactly the type of site I'd want to work for because on top of the features they were putting out in my in my opinion uh, some of the best reviews that I was reading. I mean, um, our reviews team it kills it every week. Our reviews team does an amazing job. Uh, our news team is is doing these original reports that no one else is caring and that are so detailed and have such amazing quotes. And so I remember thinking back then when I wasn't even part of the we, when it was still a they, mm. I remember saying they, like what they're doing is what I want to be doing. And I would apply that to everything I did, whether it was freelancing, whether it was my job at the sun, whether it was when we were, my friends and I were trying to launch a magazine and we thought had the idea that let's make it very Polygon esque. Um, so going off to your point, I knew polygon in and out because i was reading it daily because i was uh following the writers on twitter and and i knew what was going on in their lives and uh if you really want to write for a site if there's one site that stands out from the rest that really stands out that you really want to write for you need to kind of ingrain yourself in it as if you already do write for them yeah as if you are already a part of it and you pitching is just you it's just it's just like this uh, this thing that needs to, to be done in order for you to write for them. You you really need to understand what they want because if you are a fan of the site and that's the type of writing that you want to that you want to do, then you just want to be writing for yourself. Like it's it's you should want to be able to write the stuff that you would want to read. And at Polygon, I've been able to do that um, when I was freelancing and now it and it's uh, that's that would be my suggestion. Suggestion: pick sites that you read because that's who you want to write for. You want to write what you eventually want to read. Yeah, no, without a doubt, and they do have some really great writers over there. I mean, I like I said, I have been critical of Polygon in the past, but it's it's something that I've, I've definitely I'd want to start you know reading more of their features. It's something I haven't done in a while, and actually, I am having Phil Kohler on the show pretty soon, so. We will have who is long... the best guy ever. <laughs> he He's seems like best. he could be the nicest person ever. Um, so he is yeah, like the nicest person on this planet. Like it's kind <laughs> of ridiculous. I didn't. I mean, I knew people at Polygon, but I didn't know everyone. And Phil was just like everyone. This is Julia, and it is just. Like, he's, yeah, Phil is just a really good dude. You should all follow him on Twitter if you're not already. <laughs> Speaking of people on Twitter, that guy is quite the Twitter person. He is on there often. So, yeah, he's, it'll be interesting to talk to him uh, also about kind of the, the content uh, direction change, too, with Polygon. So, we've given, like, 8 billion tips at this point, but this is during, toward the end of this hour, which surprisingly we've been recording for almost an hour. Um, I like to kind of have some sort of summation of the entire show saying like, hey, here's a, a tip to take for the road. And for this week, this is actually something I recently experienced. Because like I told you, I am planning on getting back into feature writing more because it's... Which is so exciting for me. <laughs> I love the features. It's it's fun. It's And, you know, for me, uh, like you, I when I am writing features, I want to do these unique things. I want to get to the human side. And it's some of my most rewarding work has come from that. When I was first on, uh, I think it was for Game Ranks, I posted the feature on, but I ended up on Kotaku for a bit. It was the one about um, dealing with death and like uh, using games as almost this this good emotional outlet. And I was able to talk to Patrick Klepik because um, his father passed and my friend uh, Max, whose father passed, and we all kind of talked about that. And it was, just, it was, for me, like that's where I get some of the most uh, enjoyment is like exploring these different unique topics. But when I was in discussion with people about doing uh, new features, I realized that like I have no like pitches. I have no pitches right now because I've just been doing reviews. So for me, my tip, uh, especially there's opportunities that are going to come out of nowhere. Uh, new sites might be starting up there looking for interesting freelancers, or you might have friends who give you round things like, hey, here's a tip, like the, these people looking for freelance writers. Make sure, and here's what I'm going to start doing moving forward. I did it before and I just kind of got away from it. Um, keep a, a Google Doc, a Word Doc, and just have every pitch that you might want to use. I actually used to do like, here's my Polygon pitches, here's my GameSpot pitches, here's my IGN pitches. And uh, once a week, write one new pitch. Uh, maybe you can do it more. If you have more time, you can even do it like two, uh, two a week. And also make sure you're just sharpening the other ones because a pitch can always be better. It can always be tighter. It can always have a little bit more of an edge to it. And it's something I've fallen away from. And I have to if I can remember how to write pitches. It's been so long. Um, but if I was going to give advice, yeah, there's going to be opportunities that are come out of nowhere, especially the, the more well-known you become in mm -hmm. the freelance world. Make sure you have a stable of pitches that um, these ones usually have to be evergreen, especially if you're kind of waiting for opportunity that are just sharp and ready to go. Cause I wish I would have done that. Then I could be like 
starting to send features out now. But yeah, it's something, uh, writing pitches in general, if you don't know how to do it, definitely get uh, Nathan Minier's uh, book, Up, Up, Down, Down, Left, Right. That's what initially helped me understand how to write solid pitches that people actually paid attention to. Um, but if you already know how to do that, make sure you have a stable of those to send out at a moment's notice. So that's my tip. Uh, once again, Julie, I kind of s- sprung this on you right beforehand. So do you have a tip to, I mean, you've given a billion, but any more you'd like to give out? I actually, I have a tip that I will share with people. This is my secret. This is, oh, it's man. not a secret. A lot of people in the industry do this, but I use it too. So I will, I will, I will pretend it's mine. Okay. I will. <laughs> and it out. Even if you do not smoke, mm-hmm. if you want to get the best interview out of someone, suggest that you can go out for a smoke or a coffee and this is this is this is obviously only going to happen in interview situations but i'll give you an example i use it every time i have to interview a celebrity because they've been doing these interviews for hours they are tired they are tired of answering the same question with the same kind of enthusiasm Mm. they want to go out for either for a smoke or for a coffee they just need to get up and walk around and i guarantee you you will get the best answers you're ever going to get if they're up and walking and happy and outside um, because they're going to feel more open with you. It's like, I don't smoke, but it's like smokers. It's like when you're at a bar and, and you and you go outside and the people who are smoking are like these instant friends because they have oh, this yeah. common. If you go outside with them and you're like, hey, listen, let's just take 10 minutes. We'll do it out here. You can just stand. You can have your smoke. You can have a coffee, whatever you want. You're going to get the best answers. That's how I get a lot of my feature ideas when I'm doing, when I'm doing, inter- when I, after I do interviews because I'm going, I got stuff out of there that he's not going to give to other people because he just said it off the cuff. Uh, a good example is I was talking to Keanu Reeves. We're having uh, a coffee and he, we end up talking a lot about um, Asian cinema. And so I had this whole other feature on like Keanu Reeves and his love for Asian cinema that went along with John, John Wick, that interview on John Wick. Mm. Uh, and it was a great feature and people really enjoyed it. And I only got that because we were outside talking and we were just shooting. Like we weren't in this professional setting. We were just talking. And the best interviews you'll ever get is when you're just talking. Yeah, having it's, them when they're most comfortable. Getting them in the spot, like you said, where they're not like – Bright lights. I'm sitting. I've been talking in the same spot for hours to different people. Like you want to make sure you're talking to people. And like you said, you will often get things they would never even consider really talking about before, but they'll talk about. It. It's like, hey, you seem like a good person. We're comfortable right now. I can talk to you very casually. That's a, that's exactly it. Uh, so that, I mean, that's the advice that I would I'd give to most people. It's let just put yourself in that. I mean, on top of the advice I've already given, yeah. put put yourself in their position because. As tired as as tired as you as as nervous as you are about interviewing them, they're tired. Like they they don't want to sit through it. They don't. Um. They at the end of the day they don't care about giving you this interview, but they're generally required to do it. It's like you you this is what you have to do. You have to do the interview. It's part of the junket. Just do it. If you can make them either laugh or if you can make them just forget that they're doing it for ten minutes, you're gonna get the best answers you can, and that's gonna lead to the best story about that particular subject out there. Um, so treat everyone you talk to like a human being. Don't treat them like a celebrity. Don't treat them like this developer who maybe is undergoing a bunch of conflict or who's maybe really notorious. Just treat them like a human being. Uh, and out of those conversations, you will have the best quotes and the best story that you could possibly hope for. When you eventually smoke and talk to Drake outside while you're interviewing him, I want to know exactly how that goes. Like, tell me what kind of cigarettes he smokes. I want to hear all of this full Drake story. <laughs> So Drake, I've, I've never met him, but Drake does backstage. His ritual before he goes on stage is he does a shot with all of his buddies. Mm. Uh, he, that's what he does. He does his shot. And apparently uh, he is like just the nicest guy to press backstage. He just wants to hang out with them. He wants them to do the shot with them. He's And I mean, that's a great area like that you have to navigate as a reporter. It's like, do I do a shot with Drake? Yes. Do I, or that, is that that no great area. Always. You always or, do a shot with that- Drake. You know, this is a situation um, I've had before where directors and actors are like, come get a drink with us. And it's I can't because I'm re- I'm representing an organization. I cannot come have a drink with you. It's that goes against what we do. And at the same time, there are other organizations who will say, no, go have the drink, like go make that that connection. Yeah. So if you become uh, if you start doing a lot more features, like uh, Josiah was saying, if you start doing a lot more features and you're interviewing more people and you're doing it on spot, 
there's going to be situations that arise where you're going, can I do this? Can I not do this? And so just learn to navigate that. But that will come with experience. And you'll learn, like, this is a great situation. I can go. Definitely I'm going to go have dinner with them. Or like, no, it's 2 o'clock in the morning and their movie just premiered. I should probably not go have shots with them at the bar down the street. I'm so happy um, that Drake is a good person. That, that's, like, that's like learning that a celebrity you like is actually not an asshole. He is Canadian. He is, <laughs> he is obviously the best person in the world. Yeah, I mean, that's just a fact. Drake is the best that's person just... in the world. That was just said, and I'm not because even going to deny it. Because he's Canadian. It's yeah. like Canadians are generally just the best people in the world. <laughs> we are. We just, we just are. All right. Well, on the Drake being the best person in the world note, uh, Julia, thank you so much for talking to me for this last hour, uh, giving all thank this you. great advice. Uh, once again, congratulations on the new job. I know I can already tell you're extremely excited about it, and that's super cool to not only get the full-time job in the industry, but get at the place that you want to write for for so long so if people want to follow your writing follow you in general where where should they look uh so i you can follow me at polygon.com and i'm like smiling saying yep. it you can follow me at polygon.com um if anybody wants to reach out and has more questions i can't promise that i can get back to them all but you can definitely reach out um i'm at loudmouthjulia on twitter or julia.alexander at polygon.com all right yeah once again Thank you so much for stopping by uh, and thanks everyone for listening and hopefully you'll tune back in next week, which might be Phil Kohler. I don't know. I have a full schedule. I need to actually look at who's next, but there will be someone talking to me next week on the 1099. <laughs>